Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, October 10th. Though we're recording on October 3rd, where we, laypersons and a pastor, are gathering at 7 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time from wherever we may be to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday, and that would be October 15th. We're working to be faithful to Lectionary Year A, and here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader. And then in this podcast, we share, question, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Nicholson from Tampa. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. And I'm Don Upton, and I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I've got the lead this week, and I'll be reading the scripture, which is Matthew 22, 1 through 14, and I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves, been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He said his troops destroyed those murderers and burned their city. When he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy, go therefore to the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both the good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man and there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the attendants, find him, hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And that's the word of the Lord. God. Well, a second week of challenging parables. Uh, and uh, as we dive into this, so Sarah, I'm going to come to you first with the first question. I'm going to read the, the three questions we put together for today's discussion, and we'll dive in. The first is, you know, looking at last week, are there any crosswalks or connections between last week's lectionary, which is about the tenants on the vineyard, that selection, and this challenging parable? And second, what's the nature of the two rounds of invitations? There are actually more than two rounds. What's being positioned here by Jesus in these invitations? And then third, what are we to make of the closing verse, many are called, but few are chosen, in the face of a most violent parable? And seemingly arbitrary act regarding the wedding attire. Let's get back to question one. Sarah, are there some crosswalks you want to call to our attention or connections between this week's lectionary and our discussion of last week? Sarah? The vineyard owner from last week and the king in this week's parable both plan extravagantly and demonstrate lavish generosity, yet both experience rejection by those were entrusted to respond favorably. Both continue reaching out despite the rejection. The rejection in both of these parables is similar. There's excuses, there's violence, there's murder. 
If the vineyard owner and the king represent God, then humanity can certainly fill the shoes of the tenants and the wedding guests. But is this really how we imagine the kingdom of heaven to be? Or does this seem more like what we'd see in an earthly kingdom? Maybe by an occupying ruler. And and that's, I guess, the questions I would kind of look at this parable through. That's what I got, Don. Thank you. Bill Holt, some crosswalks or connections, and I'll just for the for the listener connect it to last week, which is Matthew twenty one, thirty three through forty six. What do you think, Bill? Yeah, again I will repeat a caution that I offer myself and scholars through that we need to be aware that Jesus is using we might call it a human device to teach. He's using what we call a parable, um, a story that's made up, but it deals with reality and how much we are to apply every detail literally to God is is a, a, something we need to be cautious about. Having said that, to me, the heart of this, Don, is verse 3, the the person putting on the wedding banquet sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Now, to, to me, an exaggeration is that not a single person invited would come. That doesn't seem reasonable, but within the story, it's said that way to make a point. So these are those who had received an invitation. Now, I don't know what the custom was then. Now we respond to wedding invitations. So if that is true, they had made a commitment uh, to be there, but then they would not. And those who have been invited could be analogous on to last week's chief priests and scribes, those to whom that parable was addressed and this week's is addressed. And it could be us. We we have been invited to the banquet. And in some way, we're on this podcast because we have accepted the invitation. Um, and then the escalation in verse 10 gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. Now, going back further than last week, Don, to the week before that, uh, gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, could be analogous to the tax collectors and prostitutes in that previous parable. Jesus said they will enter the kingdom, the tax collectors and prostitutes, before you. Um, And last week, this is more a contrast and a crosswalk. Uh, the last week we dealt with violent uh, tenants. The issue is the invitation in this parable to a celebration, a new beginning, a future with hope in the language of Jeremiah 29. So for me, Don, it heightens the poignancy and the shocking nature of the refusal to participate in such a new beginning. And it reminds us 
that we can make choices in the here and now that are in effect our refusal to go to the wedding banquet, our refusal to participate in the invitation to new life and new beginning. I will leave it there, Don. Thank you. I I, I really love the commentary you're giving on the new beginnings. And I want to connect it to last week that uh, uh, the creation of the vineyard, no one had a hand in at all. It was ready. And it was a different engagement. There's, you go to the vineyard, you tend the vineyard, you serve the vineyard, you make you make what is, I view the vineyard as a perfect vineyard. Uh, and in the same case, no one prepared this banquet. Uh, this is the, the plenty, the bounty, the fullness of what the, what, what the inviter has. So no one's asked to come but to, to actually participate in that. It's ready. In both cases, there's something that's already ready. Creation is done. Uh, in the first story from last week, I wonder what happens next. I think it's just chaos. I think, you know, it's life on earth. Life in the vineyard just deteriorates, and it's, it's ugly and it's violent. But both share violence. I think that's important. Simply, they shares anger and violence and exclusion and retribution. There's a fundamental thing there that's cutting through it all, which I think is Jesus reflecting on what's in our hearts, violent impulses and anger. Um, and then the desire in both to kind of rate the world. Uh, it's a different, it has different impacts, but it's, there's still this rating system. And the first one from last week, it's what's mine? What I believe is mine? How do I defend that? And how do I take it? And how do I uh, make someone else's kingdom my own? How do I become God? In this case, the rating is exclusive. It's like I don't rate the wedding banquet as something that lines up with my priorities. I will not attend because there are better things to do. I rate the world on my terms, and I choose not to attend. And it says, it's one of the languages, another went about his own business. I think that may be the theme of this. I'm going about my business today. What is encompassed in that day? We're we're meeting today around 7 o'clock Eastern time, a.m. Our day is ahead of us. What am I doing in terms of sizing up my day? And so one thing is another went about his own business, and a lot of them did. What does that mean? What are the business of life's priorities? And I think we have that both in very violent situations here. Uh, Is my presence needed? And if it's needed, what am I going to be doing? Uh, So I think we also have the business in last week and this week of co-opting the world. In this case, we're excluding something uh, with with, uh, the banquet. Uh, I believe my world is different, and that's not a part of my world. And the other, it's co-opting the world and making it my own. I think I both both hold up pretty well. Uh, it's not worth my time. I hear that all the time. I think that's rent ringing through this, what's worth my time. I'll size up the world. I'll set my own priorities. Thank you very much to the point where I will make light of it. I will be glib. I will level whatever is going on that I don't think is important to me. I will not only not be a part of it. I will ridicule it. Those are the kind of things I think this has in common. Uh, well, let's go on to the uh, to the next question. And Bill, I'm gonna I'm gonna send this this one your way. Bring it up so I can read it out again. Um, what is the nature of the two realms, or more realms than that, of invitations? What what's Bill being positioned in terms of the, the layers and the multiple invitations that are going on? What do you think? Right. Uh, You've noted, uh, in one sense, there are three invitations. 
The first group is invited twice. And the second invitation, it, it's a reminder of the feast that, that's available there. Uh, so it, it's like, um, I use the word escalate. It's like, by the way, remind them the second time what a feast is prepared for them. Back to something I said about question one, there's an abundance. There's new life. There's fellowship being offered, uh, a very powerful uh, invitation and experience. And it reminds us of the perseverance of God. I love the poem, Hound of Heaven, (laughs) Uh, that God pursues us, whatever the language is, down the byways and highways of life. Uh, God persistently gives us a second chance. And again, it's a reminder, Don, of our capacity to refuse to come to the banquet, to refuse to embrace the new life, the joy. And I, I love this imagery. God provides a feast, a wedding feast, a loving relationship uh, that may not only enrich the lives of the two being married, but has the potential to create new life. Often at a wedding, the minister, when it comes to the vows, will invite others who are there in a sense to participate in renewing their vows. And I enjoy Caroline Lewis very much. Uh, you can watch, you can hear the audio of their weekly working preacher, but you can also watch the, I don't know if it's Zoom or not, but the video. And she has a delightful sense of humor and a deep uh, skill, great skill as a biblical interpreter. And she wrote an article entitled Hospitality 101, published in 2014. And I want to read her quote, commenting on this story. But in the end, God simply will not give up until the dining room is full, even overflowing, perhaps embarrassingly so, uncomfortably so, disquietingly so. And I love this. Save the date. It's going to be quite the party. I I love that tone. We're being invited to quite a party. Don? Thanks, Bill. I want to connect my thoughts to your response to the first question, which had to do with the wedding in the future, too. Are you aware of what this is at all? I don't know if there's an awareness of what's happening. There's plenty. You're invited. And it is a wedding. That's the you know, the flashing sign. It's a wedding. It's a wedding. It's a wedding. Ridicule. It's a wedding. It's a wedding. No show. And I think there's a big message here about behavior. Uh, this could be any given day. There's a wedding. There's a wedding. There's a wedding. I, I'm thinking about things like, well, let me check my schedule. Let me, you know, it, and in this case, it's kind of ridiculed. But I wonder if there's also ridicule and a leveling of something that's very important just by behavior. 
it makes me search my heart about, you know, hopefully I don't ridicule people and their priorities. I hope I don't ridicule an invitation or fellowship. But do I do that by not going? Do I do that by saying, well, let me see. Let me check my schedule. You know, what's my obligation there? Uh, it's like, who, who do I think I am? I think that's kind of underwritten here. Who do you think you are uh, to, to measure something like that? And so with that flashing sign wedding, what's a wedding through literature, through global literature for thousands of years? It's the future. It's hope. It's a tangible proof. Life goes on. It's about love. It's about the unseen generations of the future. It's about affirming the families and home and heart. It's about the unseen. You know, I go to a wedding today, I don't I will not see. But it's beautiful to think about what's going to happen when I'm gone. It's beautiful. So wedding, wedding, flashing, flashing. I don't think so. Let me check my schedule. They're not just rege- I don't think there's just a rejection of this one person, this one host. It's a rejection of wedding as being a primary symbol of the future. I'll use, I'll use something out of our, our language today in the present church. Something set apart. Holy brings us together. Wedding is, is a sacrament, many traditions. Something set apart. It's not just a rejection of a party. So wedding, flashing sign, wedding, wedding. Uh, and I think with the rounds of invitation, that's kind of what's the of the undercurrent here, to come and celebrate a wedding, to be in community. Everything else is done. Plenty's there, and it's set apart. No, it's not. I'm busy. So I think it's a behavioral wake-up call with the multiple invitations that this is about a continuation. You know, the wedding is supposed to reflect eternity. The wedding's supposed to reflect the church. It's all there. It's loaded, if we can look at it. But, you know, folks, I'm just too busy to read this passage today. I'm too busy to enter and do a dialogue on this podcast with you folks today. I'm busy. My mind is full. I have things to think about. We'll talk about weddings some other time. Thank you very much. What about you, Sarah? What do you think? I'm going to take an outlier's perspective. Um, Mark Davis presents us with this idea, and I think it echoes the cornerstone conversation we had last week about What's a true cornerstone versus a man-made cornerstone? So the first invitation would be for a date. The second would announce the time. And the third is to fill the room, if we looked at those three kind of invitations that were given by the king. It is one thing similar to how the brothers a couple of parables ago said, no, I'm not going to go work in the vineyard, but changed his mind and goes. And the other brother goes, yeah, I'll go work in the vineyard, and then totally skips out and doesn't show up at all. So the responses to the invitation are either an outward refusal or I'm going to show up but never come and no show. So I'm, I'm curious about this. If the king is God, that's a huge misstep. But if the king is a political occupier like Rome – or Herod, or a different um, appointed ruler for the land. Is our way of dissent 
not participating? Do we do we stand and go, no, that's not the cornerstone I'm thinking about. I'm not going to go to that future. I don't want that to be the whole thing I hope for. So I'm curious on how do we, as Christ followers, discern the difference between a wedding banquet set, whose table is set by God and a wedding banquet whose table is set by um, the powerful and the political. Because I think we're kind of put in that position right now um, in, our, in our place and time where we are living. So I, I'm curious about why the king is throwing this banquet. Why are people expected to show up? Is that their way of, or his way of discerning who's loyal and who's not? Is it his way of discerning who do I need to crack down on or who do I need to reach out to? So I guess is if the king is God, I see it one way. If the king is a human king, a man king, or an earthly ruler, then I'm concerned on how I... Um, might be able to avoid being invited because I'm not sure I want to go to that party. And I think that that's an interesting way of looking at the people who send the excuses and the king who might make the invitation. What if I don't buy in? How do I participate in a way that lets me do both, which sounds duplicitous, and I don't think that's the right path for me, but how do I disengage? So um, the natures of the invitations and what's being positioned by Jesus is, are we looking at an earthly king or are we looking at a heavenly king? That's what I got, Don. Thank you. And an exciting uh, reading, too. Uh, Thank you. Well, let's stay on that. If you don't mind, I'll stick with you because this is really a follow-on to what you're talking about. And then, Bill, I'll go, and then you'll get to, you'll get to wrap this up and tie all of this together so elegantly, like you always do, Bill. Uh, so uh, the final question, Sarah, Bill, Bill's on this, is at the end, we've got verse 14, many are asked, but few are chosen. So we're wrapping up this violent, sometimes arbitrary, feeling parable with many are asked, but few are chosen. So you're meeting uh, someone on the street. I hey, I see you on the podcast are dealing with that. What does that mean? Many are asked, but few are chosen. How would you respond to that? Eric J. Johnson, or Thompson, excuse me, on workingpreacher.org suggests that the wedding robe and the garment is mercy. A garment fit for a wedding, one of joy and celebration, singing and dancing, one rejected by the chief priests and scribes, and as we, as guests, we're accepted under the grace and mercy of Christ's sacrifice. So this is my perspective if it's a heavenly king. Um, how accepting are we of God's forgiveness for ourselves and others? Do we want to look around the room and go, how'd they get in here? <laughs> or do we want to go, shh, this is the place where those people are who think they're the only ones here. And that's a punchline to a joke many years ago about, the kingdom of heaven. Um, God seems to level that which humans have made and, and, and destroys all the excuses to reject this invitation. 
so that we are welcomed. We are all covered by the grace and sacrifice of Jesus. Now, in my other head, if I think about this king being an earthly king, Mark Davis pauses and asks, well, what if the king is not God? Might Jesus be pointing to an image of heaven that paints God to look like Herod? And go, wait a minute, that's not God. What if the invitation is a political one rather than a social one? What if we're asked to participate, and if we fail to participate, it marks us as a malcontent or a rebellious participant? I'm thinking about Nazi Germany and those people that didn't participate and how they isolated themselves and what that did for them. It marked them. And so I'm thinking about if the invitation is a political one rather than a social one. Those who fail to show up would be considered in rebellion, to be squashed, to be hunted, and, and, and to be disappeared. That's happened repetitively in earthly kingdoms. Is this parable that, is this a parable that demonstrate, demonstrates what God is like? And I really ask that question in a hard way in this one. What if the man not dressed for the wedding, who refused to wear the wedding garment, is somebody who refuses to put on the uniform of the king, refuses to participate in a system that's destructive? What if he, like Christ, is silent when questioned? What if he is thrown out and cast out and killed like Jesus? So I think we have two kingdoms to consider and two garments to consider, and, and the way we look at the outlier to consider as we look at this particular parable. It's an exciting read. Thank you. I'm, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm so comfortable with all these readings, and I made a list of, you know, who is this person that's not dressed properly? And uh, there are readings that this is an imposter or a spy, the one interloper, fair enough. Uh, or or, or uh, the second is, uh, as I am. And you can hear the gospel, you know, as I am. And it's rejected coming as I am. Uh, and then there's uh, the person who shows up with no prep and the, the lack of an answer is, I didn't know. <laughs> didn't know it was necessary. I'm here for a wedding, uh, and the other is the Jesus as well. But I, I'm I'm interested in this because uh, the, the question is about the, the choosing, you know. And I think there's a lot to learn about choosing going through here. Who's doing the choosing? What is this? odd relationship of choosing. Where is, where is the choosing? Many of, where is that taking place? Are the individuals who are not ridiculing and, get, and putting their business of life aside to come, are they choosing for themselves because they understand what the wedding looks like and what the future looks like and that it's set aside and they are going to set themselves aside from society to go? And I think choosing at least my read on this is meant to be fluid. We're being asked to explore choices, behavior of every day, 
Am I going to ridicule other people? Am I going to ridicule worship by not being present? And I think worship could be a part of this as well. Am I going to ridicule the idea of a conversation with the Creator and go without prayer today because I'm busy? Am I not going to prayer and ceaselessly without cease? Am I not going to reflect? I mean, I can do those basic aspects of life that make, that make things work, get me closer to the Creator. So I, I think there's a choosing that just runs through the entire passage, no matter what the, the reading what the reading is. Uh, and, and finally, on choosing, the streets do choose to come. And I don't, I don't want to leave that out. You know, if there's this fluid choosing, you go to the streets? Yes. I think there's a lot there for discussion. You know, first rounds, no, 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 no. You go to the streets, you, you just, the streets. Streets say, yeah. Yep, they're coming. And to, on one reading of this, the streets know that this is set apart. They are happy to come. They will enjoy the plenty. They will set themselves apart. And they dress themselves with one exception. So taking the reading of the person without the proper attire being cast out appropriately in this case, the streets are dressed for a special occasion. Everyone from all walks of life, the good and the bad, all of us, we walk in the door all of them, except one? My, my. Is that understanding? Is that respect? I think satisfying. So, Bill, I'm interested in your thoughts about, you know, how, how would you explain the many are called but few are chosen? And, and you'll be able to tie all this together, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know that I can meet that expectation. I, this is a really challenging part of this parable and illustrates another caution about parables we're almost free to put our own meaning on it i don't know for sure what the custom was then i'm going to presume there's some congruence between then and now Um, if i'm invited to a wedding that's formal and i show up in bermuda shorts and flip-flops I am showing disrespect. Now, that's an extreme example. I got to believe that not wearing the wedding robe was a similar faux pas in the time of Jesus. Now, Sarah, if I heard you correctly, Mark Davis thinks the robe is grace. Did did I hear that correctly? No. The the person who, who, who posited that was Eric J. Thompson. Okay, thank you. Okay, now th- that that's a perfectly valid uh, image. In contrast to that, interestingly, I want to quote from Fred Craddock, um, a famous Methodist minister, on this passage, and he I will use his exact words. Here's where Fred Craddock went. Matthew knew how easily grace can melt into permissiveness. Again, the, how are you expected to, to be dressed? He, Matthew knew that for those who presume upon grace, forgiveness does not fulfill righteousness, 
but negates it. Matthew apparently is addressing a church that has lost the distinction between accepting all persons and condoning all behavior. You know, it's the end of quote. The, the mantra is forgiveness is not condoning. So I, I can understand uh, the distinction Craddock is making, but um, he, he says this as those who presume. Now, here's where I prefer to go, Don, and I'm going to read from several scriptures. The image of how you attire yourself is powerful in scripture from Colossians, the third chapter. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. First Peter, echoing that, all of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another for... God opposes the proud but gives humble, gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore. So I, I like that image of the wedding garment, Don, that it, it has to do with how we see ourselves within. And in contrast to your reminder about the we can think we created the vineyard, it's ours. Instead, we are within ourselves, which affects our outward behavior, to clothe ourselves as those scriptures say. Uh, but again, there's a harshness to this that, that we, no matter how we want to dress it up, if I may use that pun, um, it, it is harsh. It reminds me of the parable of the sower that God unreservedly offers the potential for a new and different life, but there are a range of responses that occur. Whatever the wedding garment image means, it is it seems to me an indication that this person was not acting in accord with what was appropriate for that situation. And someone else has said that called could mean the invited. Last week, under Sarah's guidance, we looked at um, that, that sense that God uh, reaches out to everyone. And chosen could mean those who actually accept the invitation, that uh, they actually did what was promised. Um, by no means have I wrapped it up, Tom, but I'll give it back to you. Thank you. Uh, and next week, Bill Ho will be leading the discussion and will be using his questions. Uh, Palmasia Presbyterian Church makes this podcast possible. It's at 3501 West San Jose. That's in Tampa, Florida. For more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A. C-E-I-A dot org. We commend that site too for other discussions of the lectionary, disagreements, uh, all kinds of encouragements, uh, uh, reflections, prayers, outstanding sermons, 
great music, opportunities to take communion. So check that out. And you're always welcome. We'll see you next time.